This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined by Mawira Karatai in Fakatani. Kia ora, Mawira. Kia ora, Sam. How are you today? Very well. We're having the winter we didn't have last year. <laughs> Does that mean you're getting a double winter? Well, last year it just didn't happen. There was no frosts, no snow, nothing. We're having it all this year. Oh, that's lucky. Well, we're having the winter you had last year in Fakatani, and when we started talking 10 minutes ago, it was overcast and grey, and now the sun is shining and the sky is blue. So thanks for that, Sam. That's all right. You're welcome. And who are you introducing today? Today, I'm very honoured to be introducing Golruz Garaman, who is an MP for the Green Party and champion for women and minorities in politics. And I um, have so much admiration for her work so it is a real honour to be introducing you today. Welcome Barrett Bowers. thank you for joining us today. It's such an honour to be here, thank you for having me. When I last talked to you, Golrez, I don't know if you remember, it was exactly three years ago, and I went around telling everybody afterwards that they should vote for the Green Party if just for the reason of getting you into Parliament. So well done. Oh, thank you so much. That's um, that's incredibly humbling. Thank you. I do remember having a conversation with you. <laughs> <laughs> so how was your bubble life? Um, it was cosy. I'm, I'm one of the... Um, and I think New Zealand sort of found out how many of us there really was, one of the um, immunocompromised uh, community. So it was an incredible relief when the whole um, of our little little nation went into lockdown, um, you know, in part to protect us. Uh, and, and so, you know, it was kind of, it was in the couple of weeks leading up to it, it was getting a little bit scary and, um, you know, we could see what's happening overseas. So suddenly when it was kind of, we, we're going to make ourselves safe, it felt good. Uh, lots of walks, lots of um, home cooking that I hadn't had time to do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there was a real feeling of gratefulness from me. From my, I should clarify, it, I've got multiple sclerosis, so that's what that was. <laughs> it was interesting how it was communicated. It was never keep yourself safe. It was always we need to do this for everybody else. And, and we responded really well to that. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think there was a real moment of us sort of all um, looking around our community and seeing, you know, all the all the people that we love who, for whatever reason, had a particular um, vulnerability 
um, you know, whether it was our nanas and granddads or, you know, just, just older people that we knew around them, whether it was people with autoimmune disease like me, um, other dis disabilities, community members, um, anyone who's had, who survived cancer, you know, has got, um, is immunocompromised. So th there's a lot of people. Um, and I think there's a real lesson in that where we, um, you know, we often, um, and especially as parliamentarians and we kind of look at you know taking you know are we going to take care of people whether it's by um paying a sickness benefit whether it's paying um for things like unemployment benefits or for solo parents and it, it, it was this moment of like stopping and going oh this could have happened to any of us um and we're all stronger for having taken care of the people who just needed it at that moment it was a real it was a real watershed moment i think and i hope um, you know, moving forward. We were in the fortunate position of not getting to the position that other countries have had to in having mm -hmm. to decide about the allocation of, of scarce resources. You know, does this disabled person get a ventilator was a question that we oh, never right. had to deal with. Yes, that's right. And, and that's exactly what we were trying to um, sort of prevent. But what we did do and, you know, what other nations who have come out of or, you know, we're not quite out of it, but, you know, who've, who've fared much, much better have done is that we went, okay, we're going to go into lockdown and that means we're going to take care of people if they've lost an income. And that was a real watershed moment where it was like, well, actually, yeah, sometimes people are going to be affected by things that are outside of their control and we will need to take care of everyone so people can stay home. Um, and suddenly that was possible. <laughs> so so it's. I think that's another lesson and kind of moving forward where it's like, you know, the types of care that the standard of care that we set, um, because we suddenly could really, really as a whole society understand that um, terrible things happen and we need to take care of each other. The standard was much higher um, and, and people have talked about that, you know, the social welfare sort of payments were much, much higher for that COVID group. So I think that's a conversation that might be a hard conversation that we need to have about um, how we take care of other groups that have had unforeseen things happen to them that mean they need um, support. We have spoken to someone, I can't remember who it was, because we've been singing the praises of the, the be kind, this this notion of that yeah. as the, the central thing that we need to be doing. And somebody asked, why did it take a pandemic for us to take being kind seriously? Yeah, and, and I think that's a really important question that we do have to keep asking um, and we have to ask it when we're faced with um, situations that that affect fewer of us. But I think what this was about is that it actually did affect all of us. And even when we talk about the, the communities that were particularly vulnerable, um, we were a big enough vulnerable so-called community that everyone knew someone um so the, so that kind of it made empathy really really easy but the lesson of you know uh taking care of um the most marginalized means the whole of society is stronger is a really strong you know a really important lesson and it's it's true of any kind of crisis whether it's um whether it's a pandemic or whether it's um you know poverty or um or racism or you know and and you just you just have to kind of go we are going to be stronger if we take care of the people who are being marginalized or under threat um from this particular crisis that's i mean that's what kindness is let's take adam cohen uniform they try 
to take Manhattan They'd love to take L.A. And storm the Playboy Mansion And make ashes of the gay It's a war It's a war, it's a war, it's a war Raise your voice if you got one Raise your arms to the anthem We're all part of this We're all at the heart of this So come on You don't need a uniform Another city crumbles A mother kneels to pray But the gods don't hear a word she mumbles Her bomb went off yesterday And she cries and she cries and she cries and she cries Voice if you got one Raise your arms to the anthem We're all part of this We're all at the heart of this So come on I don't need a uniform, I don't want it Don't need a uniform, I don't want it Don't need a uniform, I don't want it Gonna raise my voice cause I got one and raise my flag to the anthem raise your voice if you got one raise your arms to the anthem we're all part of this we're all at the heart of this so come on It's an interesting notion, isn't it? The idea that we really are, we should, as humans, be defined by how we care for the most vulnerable people in our communities. Yes, well, exactly. And if, if the lesson was that leaving some people vulnerable and marginalised means that we're all more um at risk you know if you kind of carry that forward well we didn't take care of migrant workers um and we didn't take care of prisoners you know (laughs) so it's kind of like there's there's those harder conversations to come still and it's like you know where's that what is the prejudice there that we couldn't overcome it even when there was an existential threat to us all so yeah it's but we quick, very quickly took care of, um, very in a temporary way, but, you know, we did immediately take care of our homeless. Because yes. it was, it, you know, we could see that risk and it was like, no, we need to actually house these people. And in Auckland, we don't even have a night shelter. You know, and a night shelter really? is the problem, but it keeps people safe. Yeah, they're just, they're just starting to um, try and um, uh, open one. So the mission has had um, some people come around and, 
some of them were criminal barristers, which is my past life, so I knew them. And, you know, people would because actually in the courts you see it, you know, you see so many um, homeless come through for various reasons and then you've got to, you know, and you see the mental health issues and you see the addiction issues and you see the trauma um, that's kind of brought them there. And so, yeah, so they did, you know, they've tried to open a, a night shelter and we, that, that's starting to happen now. But, um, and that's not a, that's not a long-term, you know, solution to homelessness at all, but not to even have that to keep people safe. Um, but we found out really quickly that with COVID we could. Do you, think it's, do you think it's going to make it harder for future generations of politicians that proof that we can do things? We're not going to accept excuses anymore. Yeah, that's right. And I think uh, that's exactly right. And the thing that that reminds me of is, you know, the climate crisis and the climate um, uh, action movement and, you know, this climate strikes were happening and, and you know, Indigenous voices were being raised Um and the COVID affected all of that, but it also at the same time showed us that really big systemic change is possible um, if we've got a, a common crisis. So, you know, how are we going to carry it forward to kind of to talk about climate justice? And, and part of addressing climate change is going to have to be how are we going to take care of the most marginalised, whether that's because they're in industries that we need to dispense from and we can't just do that to people. You know, we do need to support everybody to to be taken care of as we make those transitions and also to recognize that some people are just you know they live on small um atolls in our pacific neighborhood and we need to do it for them way more quickly than the pace that we're taking right now because we happen to be sort of comfortable um so some of the COVID lessons um we will have to take forward and, and hopefully do that really quickly um to recognize this other really big common threat do you think that those lessons scale up to the intergenerational questions of social justice, climate change and so on? Yeah, well, we've, I think we've kind of found out that the younger generation has got a lot to teach us already. <laughs> um, you know, they've made it really clear they're not going to stand for politics as usual um, anymore. And, and they're willing to put, you know, their time and their bodies and their voices on the line for it um and, and i think though that the, i do think the lesson is for the more entrenched um policy makers and political leaders and establishment people because um at least in new zealand and i do think we have to be grateful that our people did actually um sort of rise to this occasion the really big systemic change and 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 spending in areas that we'd never done before um, was possible, sort of instantly. So if we can take care of um, our our people who are sleeping rough, our homeless, um, really quickly like that, um, if we can suddenly pay people to stay home because we recognise that actually if you lose your job, you deserve to have a living. Um, sort of working, effective um, social safety net, then why haven't we been doing it? And, that, you know, we maybe it's it's kind of the older generation that learned that um, what the younger generation's been saying all along. <laughs> Although maybe because this, we're paying for all this stuff now, we won't be able to afford to do all those things. It, we, well, you know, people, yeah, people say that, but our economy is actually going to be one of the best placed global economies coming out of COVID um, because we had a safety net. 
um, and having a whole lot more people fall through, um, having our healthcare system ravaged um, by this because we didn't step in early um, would have actually done more damage to the economy. And I think that's kind of the lesson that, you know, even the World Bank and, and, and the IMF, you know, those really um, progressive hippie institutions <laughs> have been saying, <laughs> which is um, that inequality actually hurts the economy. Um, you, you know, you need people um, to be living above a certain level in order for the economy to thrive. Um, so in a way, not prioritising the economy in and of itself and building it into, you know, a, just a, a, a fabric of different factors that we're taking into account, including public health and, and inequality, has meant that the economy is going to be stronger too. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, I hope you're all having the best day. Beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that wherever you are, whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be deeply rewarding, fulfilling, exciting, stimulating, nourishing, illuminating for you. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, connected to all life in an infinite web, and here making things better every day as part of a process of co-evolution which has been unfolding on this paradise planet for billions of years and in this infinite universe much, much longer. So of course we find ourselves having been through this very exciting emotional roller coaster of lockdown level four, level three, level two, and now level one, we have emerged back into consensus reality. And of course, for many of us, this means we are needing to play catch up in the sense of still having a lot to process everything that's taken place over this time. And whilst we are in the depths of winter, different species are dealing with this in different ways. So of course at Orokanui Eco Sanctuary the beautiful Tuatara are hibernating. Beautiful Waimari the eel is certainly spending some of her time in a torpor and different members of the Orokanui Eco Sanctuary dream team are taking time off. Like our very hard working rangers who of course worked all through the lockdown every single day in the rain and the hail and the snow and didn't have any rest and so this really highlighted for me the importance of rest and how we as a species of animal although we may not go into hibernation we do require regular rest in order to allow the best aspects of ourselves to come forward and feel the best which of course we all deserve to feel and so for me I have been able to have a day of constructive rest a day of rest which has been under my own control and my own design which has been wonderful and what this has meant is that I've still been able to get all my exciting jobs done for the science festival but I've been able to do it in a flexible and supportive way for me so I had to go and find lots of beautiful face paint today but I ended up being able to do that with my beautiful friend Lucy and I managed to be able to put time and energy into my beautiful wool mansion, washing the multiple milk bottles that my beautiful partner Harvey Penfold enjoys drinking fresh organic milk from happy cows from. And I also managed to go to four bar classes at my beloved bar base 
and just this whole process for me was actually a great rest. So even though it may have seemed that I was buzzing around doing lots and lots of things, by being able to design the structure of my day, achieve things in a way that was supportive for me and really fun with my beautiful friend, luckily we both needed to get face paint, I really felt that I was resting. So I really hope for you, you're having the opportunity to have that creative control over your schedule and some aspects of your life and thereby finding that sense of rest and relief from the pressure of working to a schedule or deadlines in whatever way it might be. I also hope that you're having the opportunity to step back from any roles that you might feel you're playing in your life and have the opportunity to really be free of them and rest in that way too. I also really hope that you're having an opportunity to take a step back mentally and emotionally from the hustle and bustle of the construction of the human world and just spend some time in the stillness and peace of that beautiful sanctuary within you in a state of deep repose. And as we know, when we are able to rest in this way, this is when space is created for creative energy to come forward, new ideas to come forward new ways of feeling and experiencing the world around us to come forward and the greatest inspiration often comes to us in these moments of stillness. So I really hope that for you, whether or not you're able to hibernate like our beautiful friends, the Tuatara at Orokuna, you're finding opportunities to rest and recharge in ways that work best for you and I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks such Kakite. So you released a book during lockdown? Yeah, well, the book was meant to come out just before lockdown <laughs> or just at the start of lockdown, I think it was meant to come out. And, um, and of course, everything became really uncertain. So the publisher put it on hold. Um, and then, it, yeah, it just it happened that it came out just after lockdown. How's it going? I, th- I think that made it a lot more chill. I, th- <laughs> I think it was... <laughs> it made it really low stakes. It just kind of got gently released out into the wilderness. Um, it's going really well. Um, it, it, it's always really, really um, surreal. And again, I think really humbling when you put something out into the world and other people start to interact with it and react to it and people come back to you and um, talk about the bits, you know, that they that obviously was more interesting to them. And it's that's always really fascinating. Um, so it's been... Um, it's been nice. It was, I mean, I sort of did it to tell that refugee story. And I, I think what I've really learned in politics as the so-called first refugee MP is um, that a lot of our stories and our faces and, you know, our sort of background is really unknown. And as a result, you know, that really feeds the the prejudice. We're not, we're not humanised. Um, and having lived through... Um, the Christchurch terror attack in in this position that I'm in um, has kind of made me much more acutely aware that we need to we need to tell those stories because actually 51 people were gunned down because they were seen as different and you know alien and unwanted and scary um, to, you, you know to to a violent criminal but also you know those ideologies do exist and we kind of we do need to dismantle that. One of the, well, the book is called Know Your Place. Is that writing about, as in, I suppose it's done on purpose, is that as an individual, but also the the, the place, the geography? 
Um, yeah, it's a little bit of all of the things because it's a little bit of a, you know, finding your home, finding homeland, find, you know, being displaced story um, as any migrant or refugee story is. But by the same token, I think it's a little bit, and I think women will get this, it's a little bit of a wink to that whole, um, you know, we get told to know our place and it's the, you know, a woman's place is in the, in the House and the Senate, you know. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's also about, about standing up against that prejudice and kind of um, at least pushing up against the glass ceiling, if not always quite breaking it. <laughs> Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist, observing city life in lockdown. Hi there, bubble people. Liesel here and hoping that your day has been an amazing one so far and continues to be a good day. And I always say that because I think it's really important to try and stop and pause as to what kind of a you know think about what kind of a day you've had and if it hasn't been great I think this is like I've said before a really good opportunity to just stop and go okay I've still got some day left in me here (laughs) what am I going to do with it because we've always got choices about how we can change things up just even tweak it a little bit to see if we can make it a better day and that kind of um, (laughs) reminds me of uh, my my childhood really I guess because I I was a grumpy little kid well no I was I was a <laughs> I was a kid with lots of personality that's a good way to put it isn't it and I guess what I mean by that is that I was a um, I yeah I had a personality that was absolutely um, the best thing in the room when I was on my game and when I felt like Um, making everybody suffer then that's exactly what I would do trying to bring the entire kind of vibe in the room down when I was in a grumpy mood and I guess this started when I was a kid because I was um I used to throw temper tantrums when I when I uh got frustrated I think it wasn't so much that I didn't get what I wanted although you know to be fair that may well have been driving a lot of a lot of the temper tantrums but I think that um most of it was about frustration with not being able to communicate accurately what I wanted or needed and so that often I guess came out as not getting what I wanted because I didn't know how to say what I wanted maybe but um, I, I had really excellent parents that helped me um, understand some of my moods and I guess also just didn't tolerate that kind of thing. They, you know, they weren't interested in my, my silly moods and they would just tell me to go away and uh, calm down and then we could talk about whatever was going on. And it was the most frustrating thing in the, in the world. I remember how angry it used to make me when I'd get told to go to my room because I wanted an audience. I, I needed an audience, you know, for my kind of anger and my and my frustration to to have life. I needed to have an audience because <laughs> it fed my little mood. Um, so as soon as I got put, you know, in my room to calm down, I would lose my own energy for fueling the bad vibes, which is sort of, you know, some of what I'm trying to say here, that I had a lot of control over whether the bad vibes were going to operate or not. Although at the time, I didn't really, I guess, want to understand that at some level. So as I got older, I was better at controlling these sort of temper tantrums. But 
As I was a teenager, I sort of turned into the grumpy, moody teenager. So rather than throwing temper tantrums, I just did the really subtle, passive-aggressive, grumpy temper tantrum, which was just about withdrawing love from the room and making sure everybody knew that I was in a bad mood. And to some degree, I wanted everybody else to feel my bad mood and hopefully get, a, get into a bad mood too. And then my job was done. And usually I started feeling better once my bad mood had kind of spread. I felt like I'd, I'd achieved something maybe. Maybe that's what I'd done. Anyway, it was a totally unhealthy way of trying to communicate with people. And in many situations, I just refused to, I guess, own the fact that I had some agency in this. I always felt that I couldn't control my moods. You know, I just had no control over it. And it wasn't until I was about 19 and I had a friend sit me down and say, Liesl, you know what? We're just kind of over these stupid bad moods. Can you, can you just sort of like pretend? Because if you pretend to have a good mood, you'll find in a few minutes that actually you are in a good mood. And we would really like that. <laughs> And this kind of smacked me in the face. My friends, you know, were basically saying, hey, we don't want to hang out with you unless you start acting a little bit nicer. And that was literally it, act a little bit nicer. And I took that advice on board and I actually did start acting. When I felt grumpy, I would act nice. And my friend was absolutely right. As soon as I started acting, it took a few minutes and then I was actually genuinely feeling good again. So when you're feeling a bit, a bit yuck, you can act like you're not. And it's strange how sometimes that can actually translate into a real feeling. So try it out. See how it goes. Right, you have a lovely rest of the day then. See if you can create that for yourself. And we'll talk again soon. Bye-bye. So of all the societal level changes we've seen over the last however many months it's been, what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? Oh, well, what I do hope sticks is um, our understanding that for real change in the areas that we want to change, there needs to be government a action, there needs to be systemic change. So uh, applying that to climate action, uh, you know, we keep telling individuals to change this or that, but we actually do need to change um, the way we do manufacturing, the way we regulate polluters, you know, the, the way we tax polluters, because um, it isn't actually okay that we've prioritised uh, the profits of big multinationals over the well-being of our people and nature. Um, and then bringing that to inequality, we know we can't fight any crisis if some of us are falling through the cracks. So, you know, as our first um, election year uh, announcement, the Green Party um, did a, a poverty action plan. And it's, it's you know, a dense piece of policy, but effectively it's about making sure that we're all doing our fair share um, to, to, to make our society more equal. So there's a um, very upper echelon um, level wealth tax um, that seems small and it will only apply to 6% of New Zealanders, but it will actually pay for um, a minimum basic income for those who need it. Um, and, and it's, you know, and it's other stuff like moving disabilities um, support into the ACC system, for example, where there's, there's, a, there's an income stream and it can be guaranteed and people don't have to keep being humiliated every year by proving their disability. Things like that, you know, it's kind of like, Actually, we need to dismantle some of the systems that have been denying our people dignity um, so that we are all um, 
living in a more fair and equal society. Do you have a policy? No, policy is the wrong word because that suggests it's policy level. Do you have a, an approach to your the communication? What I'm thinking I'm getting at is who are you trying to convince? The, the, the people that clearly understand this or this is the where, where their framework is anyway will get this anyway or are you trying to take the convince the the, the big rump <laughs> well i think and we i think we know this as new zealanders the vast majority of us actually want this to be a fair and equal and um and, and green you know in the sense of taking care of nature um kind of place to live and um, those are our values those are human values you know we we want our communities um to be um, well taken care of and our environment to be, you know, clean and healthy. But it, it's about kind of going, the government has to transform its systems. It has to transform its income streams. It has to take responsibility um, and actually do these things because I think when there's a sense that, you know, the economy is just this animal that exists apart from us and we, we just have to cater to it. Um, and successive governments have actually made decisions that have kept our communities less equal that have meant, you know, allowed pollution to happen. Um, so, so it's that recognition. It's providing the solutions that we've needed um, for a long time. But, but, but the different governments and and throughout the years, they've been catering not to um, to, to sort of our communities' values and needs. They've been catering to to something else elusive, which is very elite and and and, um, and money orientated at, at the very top it's not even benefiting most of us let's take the chaps playing marcus turner's a believer like me
Do you think we're returning back to business as usual? Is it a, a back to normal or is it a new normal? Uh, I mean, I, you know, I think as a government, we're certainly not um, returning to a, to normal before COVID because we kind of did, we just did this massive set of budgets that are, that are aimed at taking care of everybody. And, and I think one thing that was really heartening to me is that we included in the last budget the the green confidence and supply agreement win, which was um, not only to double the number of um, refugee families that can be reunified with each other here, but also um, that there'd be some some actual support for that because there hadn't been any. Um, and you know, we've got families, actually, and in individuals who have uh, who've come here in our refugee quota and are separated from all of their immediate family for sort of close to a decade because they've been saving up. Um, you know, and so things like that are happening. And so to say that even in a time of COVID, and of course we would do we would process all of this in a you know in a house centered way, and and it, and it won't necessarily happen immediately. But even at this moment. We are saying New Zealand is going to do its sort of fair share to take care of this other um, global crisis, and we're going to be a, a country where you know families can actually stay together. And we know there's other countries where people are separated from their kids and from you know, and mums and dads, and people are detained and and, and treated abhorrently. 
Um, so that that kind of tells me that we're going to hold on to some of those values and we're going to um, we will push forward with that systemic change. I don't think we've got any excuse not to, um, for example, seriously address inequality in a way that, that we've kind of at least set out in our poverty action plan. And we don't have any excuses not to make real um, change to address the climate crisis. We know we can address crises now. <laughs> it's interesting the the line that they are us, that which was used around the, the time of the, the mosque attack last year and now we've got a similar feeling around the New Zealanders returning home who are almost we're treating like refugees. Yeah that's right well actually that's kind of a good a good understanding of the way that um, that the refugee crisis works because the definition of a refugee is someone's escaping persecution so really serious harm um, for their race nationality um, political view very limited number of um, identifiers but all or war. So it's the idea that this is someone who absolutely has to leave um, because they're not safe. And that's sort of what's happened to people. Um, they're in a situation where if we don't let our people back in, they'll essentially become stateless because they don't necessarily have the rights of um, that they would have otherwise where they are. And they weren't they didn't mean to come back at this time. It just happened this way. They have they have to. Um, so it's kind of nice to start to get that empathy. Um, for displaced people. I talked last year to Brian Alcock, who's doing his doctorate in Japan on climate refugees. And his mm -hmm. point is, is that there's no such thing as a climate refugee because climate's not one of the things that makes someone a refugee. Um, but yeah. we, it, it is something we need to take seriously. Totally. And I've been doing that um, that work as well. Um, it's it's not it's not one of the refugee grounds, absolutely. And and interestingly, the people most affected by climate displacement don't actually want to be want to come under that system because they don't want to have to apply for individual visas and you know go through and be. They want um, well. First of all, they want us to prevent a crisis so they can stay on their you know home island. Um, but also the. They're facing loss of entire cultures, you know, entire um, sort of histories, and 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 people talk to you about, you know, what about you know our ancestors' bones are buried here? Will we be able to bring them? So the the climate displacement um, issue is is sort of it, it is different than the refugee um, issue, but it's it's one that we actually, as a South Pacific nation, have to think really seriously about. Well. First of all, in our prevention work, <laughs> but it's it's part of that idea of climate justice because because there are people that are far um, worse affected than we are. Going back to lockdown and and your bubble, did you get out and get exercise and all that sort of thing? <laughs> I do far more than I do normally. <laughs> I think that's really the case nice. for most of us. Was yeah, it was eh? It was so many people, and having no cars on the roads was quite nice so just for kids you know families everyone walking around um just a little bit distanced but you know um and we got we just by total accident not long before lockdown got a kitten so she arrived about a week before lockdown um and, and that was planned but it it feels like she's a lockdown kitten so that was really fun that that really made it having a nice little fluffy distraction <laughs> It was kind of weird during the lockdown, particularly lockdown four, having just how quiet the roads were and how much how much the birds came back. And there was that kind of feeling of, this is quite nice. It was, it was. That's right. The bird, you could hear the birds. Um, 
yeah no it, it was surreal but it was kind of going mm, maybe we could do with a little bit more of this get a few more cars off the road you know but then <laughs> hopefully with our train coming in we will get a little bit of but then we all rushed back to being busy yeah well i hope you know i do hope that workplaces do take on um board the kind of the flexible working conditions that did actually really work um because when you think about um, my community you know the chronically ill or dis disabilities communities actually a bit of flexibility really really helps and, and they, you know people are very able um to do their work to do it well to you know to put in all of the effort but it's that that flexibility um of the work day and and sometimes needing um to work from home or to work from somewhere else or um in a different way using technology um, so i do hope we take some of that on board and i think with parliamentary procedure we need to take some of that on board as well um we've kind of learned that we need to do that for new mums and dads for example so so it's uh, that there's lessons there too. are you back to work as normal now yeah i am i came back at level one because um, I didn't I wasn't supposed to fly under level two still I have some questions to end the show you've had these questions before but we're going to ask them again because <laughs> you might give us different answers you probably will because you won't remember them what is the biggest success you had in the last couple of years um, in the last couple of years, um, I think you realise that success is a little bit um, amorphous in itself. So, you know, just kind of connecting with different communities and, and getting to hear how different communities feel about what that representation means to them. I think the last time we spoke, you know, um, I was probably just getting my head around being um, labelled as a refugee running for parliament. But now I've gotten to speak to so many incredible young people and incredible older people and to kind of have um, this community come around me and and, um, and feel heard a little bit through my voice has been absolutely incredible. But um, also things like um, having a part and getting the zero to come to being an act and getting a little bit of prisoner voting um, out there, getting our troops pulled from the Middle East was my point. Um, yeah, so th there's countless little um, actual tangibles, but I think the intangible stands out for them. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you're on our team. What's the superpower that's got you into the mansion? My superpower? Yeah. <laughs> um, I reckon my superpower is that community. It's just, you know, like having the MS and disabilities community, having um, migrants and refugees, having women, women of colour, um, and uh, um, just kind of going to those communities and, and connecting when things get rough. Um, I think we all need a little bit of that superpower, to be honest. <laughs> but women of colour, particularly women of colour in various parliaments, are, are getting traction, are getting, uh, you know, are getting leverage above the individual vote, if you will. Yes, and that's been incredible. So, um, you know, one of my highlights this term has been um, being in Washington and meeting with Ilhan Omar, who is the first ever refugee to be elected to the House of Representatives in the US, and now um, working uh, with her and with um, Senator Bernie Sanders um, <laughs> to try and uh, cancel third world debt in light of the COVID crisis. And we're getting traction here. You know, the Minister of Foreign Affairs here is... Um, has now said that he agrees with me that that should be something we work on. But it's been through the work of, you know, Ilhan's office raising it and then my office and connecting um, that work. And it's just been incredible to bring some of those experiences um, 
and and there's you know that they've just had their first two indigenous women elected to their house of representatives at the same at the same elections which is a bizarre statistic isn't that just me, bizarre it's incredible um but those those voices you know that that means that houses can't be the same as it, just those faces those voices are there um and that the really incredible thing about us being elected is um is us actually speaking with those with our authentic voice you know not just kind of quietly sitting there as tokens but but bringing the experiences of some of those communities um whether it's to do with inequality whether it's perspectives on um on, on environmental justice um and speaking with those voices you know and acting like we actually are you know this is our place <laughs> i think when we spoke last time you were less comfortable you were hedging around slightly about whether or not you wanted to be described as a refugee or a person from a refugee background or whatever it might be but now it seems that you're much more embodying that describing it as as you being authentic yeah um i do you know i hadn't run to become the first refugee mp i hadn't you know even realized that that would be a thing um that that, that had never happened before um so i thought i was bringing you know my human rights law experience and um and experience in the justice system here and elsewhere so i i had i had um those dreams and then i kind of had that label um come up but i realized really quickly that my face and my background and my story mean really different things to different people and that that was all really quite important too so i got all of this incredible love just poured out from actually all over the world but all over new zealand in particular um, and, uh, and Trump, you know, was, was shooting his Muslim ban over there, you know, which trying to ban people uh, just from, from countries like mine, not even, you know, actually just Muslims, but that's where prejudice kind of comes from. Um, and, and Brexit was happening. And so we got to, in New Zealand, a little bit stand as a counterpoint um, to that in people's minds. And, and our communities here got to feel a little bit safer, I realised. Um, and then I got all this barrage of hate as well. Um, so, and after I think Christchurch happened, I realized, and I was, I was actually in the middle of writing my book and I wasn't going to really write about politics, but I realized I had to write about that terror attack. Um, and so then I, I ended up writing about that, that hate, um, cause I spoke about it in my maiden speech as well. I was getting threats of gun violence and that was 18 months before Christchurch, the terror attack happened. So that felt frightening. Um, but but that that that's just tells me how important it is for us to kind of identify um, as being representatives of marginalised groups and to, to keep telling our stories. Um, it it will make everyone kind of safer and 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 our and we saw all of the love that poured out for Christchurch, you know, across New Zealand. So I think New Zealanders um, want us to be humanized to be a community of sort of equals with all of these these stories kind of woven into our, our national identity so I, I do feel much more comfortable standing for those values how do you deal with that barrage do you just not read the comments or yeah i, I don't read the comments often um but um to some extent I, and people say that to, to, and women you know of all backgrounds get um, as a particular kind of venom online and, and women of colour in particular. And, and that comes from things like Amnesty International research. But you, but people tell us not to read the comments, but there is still, you're still kind of, 
aware that you in particular can't read the comments on your own posts, you know, and, and so it's not, it doesn't sort of solve it. There's still that stress and that anxiety for, for people who have been attacked online in that systematic way. So we do have to fix it. We have to make online spaces safer. Um, but more than that, we have to make, you know, our whole society more equal. We have to allow um, women and people from marginalised backgrounds, whether that's the rainbow community, whether that's disabilities, whether that's people of colour, um, you know, in front of the screen, we have to um, give us the platforms, give us um, a place at the decision-making table, whether it's in boardrooms or in media or um, the House of Representatives. So do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yeah, absolutely, I do. Yeah, I mean, it, that's one of the um, one of the greatest things about living in a um, in a free society, right? <laughs> yeah. And what challenge are you looking forward to in the next couple of years? Uh, what challenge am I? Oh, well, the great challenge of uh, running an election campaign in a time of pandemic, <laughs> <laughs> um, finding new and different ways of reaching people, um, you know, and running this election. And but I think. Um, you know, being a, a, in government for our second term and getting even more of this um, good green change happening. Uh, it's exciting. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, do I have advice for our Yeah. Um, I mean, we've talked about being kind. Um, I think we kind of want to be fair. And, and I think sometimes looking at um, how we can make community stronger, we've kind of learnt means um, listening to marginalised groups whose voices aren't as often heard um, to hear what they what they actually need and kind of believing them. I think we did that during COVID and that, that went really well, but there are still other groups that haven't necessarily had that, um, that same um, compassion afforded to them, at, but we've made strides forward. So I think we, we do need to try and lift the voices that we don't often lift and platform and kind of listen and believe so that we can actually become a more equal society. Thank you very much for that. Mawira? 100% agree with that. Um, and I, I look at what's happening with the rest of the world and I am thankful every day that we live here. Every day, yeah. Every day. <laughs> so great. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and Golrez Garaman in Auckland. We hope you've enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.